reading together in just a few moments. So good to see you this evening. Hope that you've had a good afternoon. Appreciate Jacob continuing what has been a theme throughout our day. We often refer to Sunday around here as the best day of the week, and there are many reasons for that. One of them most foundationally is it helps to set a tone for the rest of our week. And I hope between Roger's sermon this morning, the little exercise that we have on the front of the bulletin that I encourage you to make personal this week, the good prayers that have been offered, the focused songs even this evening that have reminded us not just of a generic thanksgiving, but the one to whom we are expressing our thanks. We would love to have you join us, Lord willing, this Wednesday at 7 o'clock p.m. In lieu of our typical Bible classes throughout this building, we're just going to have everybody right here in the auditorium, and we will have songs and prayers all focused on this idea of giving thanks. We're looking forward to that even here in the middle of the week. But it's my privilege to invite you to be ready to read with me from 1 Peter chapter 4. I am his and he is mine. We even heard echoes of that in Russell's reading of Psalm 100. I am his. We are his. That has been a a great anthem for us this year and Over the last several weeks, when I have the the privilege of preaching, I've just been taking us back and, and noticing how we can see this, how it is demonstrated for us, how it is the the template for us to live as disciples of Jesus in whatever areas of life we find ourselves. First and second Peter is a great section of scripture that hopefully drives this theme even deeper into our hearts here at the end of the year. We've been in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. We'll briefly revisit little bits and pieces of that over the course of the next few minutes. But would you read with me in your Bibles from 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living In sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things 
is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you also may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet anyone, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. I, I'd encourage you to keep that, that first phrase of 1 Peter chapter 4 in your mind throughout the next few minutes. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. And, and from there he is going to remind us of some basic truths, anchor us to some foundational realities, call us to live those distinctive lives he talked to us about in chapter 2 and chapter 3. But I've got to tell you, as, as I envision this man, let's remember who it is that is writing this letter. As I envision him being carried along by the Holy Spirit of God, writing these God-breathed words. And, And he comes to this point in the second half of the letter where he writes, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself. Did a little bit of a smile come across his face? I don't know. I don't know what was going through his mind, but as I do my best to put myself in his sandals, I would imagine that as 
he wrote this as a, a much older man, his mind would have been taken back to that night of his greatest failure. In his mind, when he disappointed the Lord the most, because you remember, he was there. He most certainly would remember. In fact, he was one of the three invited by the Lord to go a little deeper into the Garden of Gethsemane on the night of Jesus' betrayal. All of the twelve start out there in that upper room inside of Jerusalem. Judas, under mysterious circumstances, leaves. And then the eleven, after they've sung a hymn, they follow Jesus from that upper room outside of one of the city gates across the Kidron Valley to this vineyard, this garden of olive oil, olive trees. They're just outside of the, the city walls. And it's in that moment that Jesus invites Peter and James and John. I mean, they've, they've been with him now for three years. We, we can't imagine what they've seen. And Jesus invites these three to come a little deeper with him into the garden. And, and you might remember how Jesus told them, I, I want you to pray. I'm going to pray and I, I want you to pray. And, and Peter, I know that you've said some pretty bold things just a few minutes ago over there in the city. But I want you to pray. The, the spirit is willing. But the flesh is weak and, and Jesus went and, and he prayed multiple times with such intensity that his sweat was like great drops of blood and he comes back a couple of times and I mean after all it's the middle of the night. Peter and James and John, their, their eyes are heavy and their bodies are weary. And then eventually this great host of Roman soldiers. We imagine them coming out of the city walls of Jerusalem, crossing there in the dark, long before the days of electricity. And, and Jesus is talking and says, Behold, my betrayer is at hand. And, and we can only imagine what is going through the mind of James and John and and this man, Peter, but we do know that Luke tells us in Luke 22, verse 49, when those who were around him saw that these soldiers are intent on arresting him and taking him away, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And in fact, one of them did. In fact, John tells us it's Simon Peter who pulls out a sword and cuts off the ear of a servant of the high priest. We even know the name of that servant. And we know that in John's gospel, Jesus says, put that sword back in its sheath. We know that in Luke's gospel, Jesus says, no more of this. In fact, he touches Malchus's ear and heals it. 
Can you imagine what is going through this man's mind? Now, decades later, a much older man, as he writes, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves. But not in this way. I, I thought I knew. But now I know better. What the Holy Spirit of God is calling us to do is to arm ourselves by thinking like Him. What a powerful idea. Beloved, you are, are, are sojourners and exiles. And so let's arm ourselves. Our King suffered in the flesh. Let's arm ourselves, but not the way that people do defending a kingdom of this world. Let's arm ourselves by thinking like Him. Well, doesn't that beg the question, how did Jesus think? And of course, Peter was there. He he, he had gone into a town of the Samaritans in John chapter 4 and, and he knew that Jesus was bound to be hungry and he and the other apostles come back bearing a, a, a whole lot of food and they offer food to Jesus but he's talking like he, he's not all that hungry and it was bound to have boggled Peter's mind but Peter was there when, for instance, Jesus said in John chapter 4 and verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. If we could sit Peter down and ask him, well, what do you mean think like him? How did he think? I've got to imagine he wouldn't talk very long before this idea would come up. Or if you're following along in our daily Bible reading schedule, on Friday you heard from Luke chapter 9, how Jesus thinks. I'm not going to say how Jesus thought, because more accurately, how Jesus thinks. We, we heard it in his own words. Luke chapter 9, verse 22. The Son of Man must suffer many things. And be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day be raised. He's coming off one of his most spectacular miracles. And now he's talking about suffering. Having to suffer. And he doesn't just stop there. He looks these men and, and people like them in the eye and he's so audacious as to say, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. We know how Jesus 
thanks. Praise God. Thank God that we have four Gospels that demonstrate for us in such powerful ways how Jesus thinks. But the aim of our gatherings on the first day of the week in his name is not simply to come to him like a, a museum exhibit. Well, would you look at that? That's, that's pretty amazing. Let's move on to the next thing. No, what we're being called to do is Christ suffered in the flesh. Since he suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves. In what way? Think like he thinks. What's that going to look like? Is your Bible open there to 1 Peter? Look back with me at 1 Peter chapter 1. I'd suggest to you he's been developing it from the very beginning. What's it going to look like to think like Jesus thinks? Well, this is the door that is open to us. My past, it's forgiven. We heard 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. How much would that mean to this man? He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 22 of 1 Peter chapter 1, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. We heard it last Sunday morning from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. Baptism which corresponds to this now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How does, how do I, how do you need to be armed as we leave this first day of the week, the Lord's Day, and go into the world, how do we need to be armed in our thinking? Well, my past is forgiven. My present is transformed by a new perspective. So much of this book has been all about perspective. For instance, chapter 2, verse 9, you are present tense. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We arm ourselves with a particular way of thinking. My past is forgiven. My present is transformed by a new perspective. Chapter 4 reminds us to include our future. My future is spoken for. I am His. Did you hear it? 
In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 2, live for the rest of the time in the flesh. All of the time? No expiration date on that? No vacations from that? No, no exemptions to that? No. Your past is forgiven. Your present is transformed by a new perspective. Your future is spoken for. For the rest of the time in the flesh, live no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. What's the best way to show I'm done with sin? That's what he's talking about here at the beginning of chapter 4. Listen, be done with that junk. How, how's the best way to show I'm done with sin? Live for the will of God even when it's tough, even when it's unpopular, even when it's the costly thing to do. And he unashamedly reminds us, puts it into perspective for us. Listen, there are plenty of people all around you who just want to live for human passions. I mean, he makes that clear, does he not? In verses 2 and 3. Verse 3, especially the time that is past suffices for doing what the, the Gentiles, unbelievers, want to do. Here, here's the hinge. <laughs> what do I want to do? Or more accurately, if I am His, what does He want me to do? There are plenty of people who just want to do what they want to do. And for a little while, they will live. Verse 3, in sensuality. If it feels good, I'm going to do it. If I want to do it, I'm just going to do it. Passions. Nothing greater than what I one, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and, and lawless idolatry. There are plenty of people, he says, 2,000 years ago who just want to live for human passions. What they don't realize is what he taught us in chapter 2 and verse 11. Those human passions, while we easily buy the lie... This is the good life. This is the path to freedom. In fact, these things are waging war. 1 Peter 2.11 On our souls. Let's arm ourselves to think like Him. My future is spoken for and there are plenty of people who could not care less about the will of God right now. Who knows, we heard last Sunday morning, if I actually lead this distinctive countercultural life, who I might be able to bring to God. But right now, none of this... Well, that's what everybody else is doing. 
Here's why they're doing that. And in fact, they might even hatefully disapprove of you. As they jump headlong into this flood of filthy, selfish, God-dishonoring sin, they might look at you and say, Hey, don't you want to come with us? Didn't, didn't you used to be one of the ringleaders in doing this sort of thing? What, what's going on? Why aren't you continuing to lead the way? Do, do, do you think that somehow you're better than us? You think that somehow you're more special than us? Somehow you, you have something that we don't have? Let, let, let me tell you, you're the one who's missing out. How, how could you ever believe in, in the idea of a king who died for you and, and somehow that makes some sort of a difference in, in your life and this idea of a resurrection and, and implications of all of that? Listen, this is 2,000 years old. And he speaks just really plainly. People are going to do what they want to do, but you are his. And even when those with minds set on earthly things malign you, make fun of you, put you down, Treat you as, as some sort of an outcast. Listen, you need to remember something. And he puts it so crystal clear in verses 5 and 6. They will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. In fact, there are some who have already died, right? I mean, it was several decades now since Jesus had, had walked the earth. But this is the reason that good news has been preached. And it can change anybody's life there are people who might judge you in the flesh but I mean honestly for a little while to be judged in the flesh but one day to stand before God and to hear about eternal life what do you want more is the fork in the road he's leading all of us for all time too. Do you want to live however you want to live for a little while in the flesh? Or do you want to live in the spirit? And the very real straightforward news is, I cannot live simply for my human passions and then hear from my God, well done. Good and faithful servant. Why? Those things are waging war against my soul. Arm yourself by thinking like him. And for a little while it may be tough. But listen, none of this is going to last forever. In fact, he uses this language. What God has done... What God has accomplished, this, this was the point of it all. The end of all things is at hand. Who knows when we will all be ushered into judgment. We're not waiting for another messenger from God. God's definitive messenger has come. Therefore, let's not just talk about it, let's 
Be about it. Be self-control. Be sober-minded. Be loving toward one another. Be hospitable. And don't grumble about it. You're His. In one word, be servants. This is what He's been driving at all along the way. But I love how in, in chapter 4, he zooms way out. He's, he's talked to us in a variety of different ways about controlling ourselves, being sober-minded, treating others the way that we would want to be treated. But here in chapter 4, especially in verse 11, he zooms all the way out and, and he reminds us this is what it's all about. Be self-controlled, sober-minded, loving toward one another, hospitable servants, Listen to this language. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. I want you to think about that. That when this is not just a, a congregational focal point for a week, but this is who I am. I am His. Would you appreciate with me what we are being told? When we show hospitality, God is glorified through Jesus Christ. And you're the one who cooked the meal and dropped it off on somebody's front porch. That is amazing. When you're the one who reaches out to someone who's been shut in for a good long time and, and would love to be able would spend how much amount of money to be able to, to be in an assembly like this and, and to sing with Jacob and all of us this evening. When you're the one who reaches out to someone this week and, and just says, I'm thinking about you, I'm praying for you, is there anything I can do for you? Listen to what's being said. God is glorified through Jesus Christ and you're the one who reached out. When you do for someone what, what they cannot do for themselves, in the name of Jesus, God is glorified through Jesus Christ and you're the one who acts. That's how integrated we are into Him. Since He suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. And since he suffered in the flesh, listen, don't, don't be surprised. You're not the first one to be tested. In no way, shape, or form has he in any way cloaked or camouflaged. You live like this and you're going to be swimming upstream. He's told us from chapter 1. And now he's reminding us, listen, when you're, when you're swimming Upstream, when you're going against the grain, when you're trying to reflect the Lord's light into a very dark world, you're going to be distinctive. Don't be afraid to be distinctive. Don't be surprised. Again, 
What's his face look like as he, as he writes about fiery trials? Don't be surprised when those things come. You're not the first one to be tested. But here's what you do. Rejoice. And I don't care how, how many times you read that. I don't care how many times you, you, you hear that. Maybe your initial knee-jerk reaction is, how? I mean, you've just talked about fiery trials coming and knocking on my front door. Why would I rejoice? If I could step in his sandals and maybe offer an answer based on what he has shared with us so far. I think he would look us in the eye and say, here's how you rejoice. What do you have as Christians? What has he been talking all along the way about? And in one word, is it not hope? We heard it in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. In verse 13, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that is coming. Verse 21 through Christ, we're believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. We heard it last Sunday morning, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is within you and so if you take one thing away from our time in first peter chapter 4 this evening this is what i would love for you to take the idea of telling us to rejoice it's not hanging out there without any sort of foundation god just coming along and saying you know do what's right brush your teeth rejoice And, and, and then walking away and, okay, well, what do I, what do, I do with that? How, how, how do I do that? He, he doesn't just throw that out on the table and leave us to figure it out. No, what he does is show us how to do that. He, he puts the joy within a, a container, within a, a vessel, within a, a defined holder of that joy and we could name that glass hope rejoice in hope in fact that's what the apostle paul said in romans chapter 12 he doesn't just tell us rejoice now this this doesn't have to do with how's my day going how's my health how are my circumstances? How's my bank account? How's my relationships? How, how many followers do I have on social media? None of that stuff. That's, that's not what this is tied to. There are plenty of people whose joy and sense of self-worth is attached to sand and straw that just gets blown all over the place. 
And there are billions and trillions of dollars spent every year trying to teach people who care more about human passions than God how to have enduring joy. And guess what? It's like building on sand. But if we'll listen to what he's telling us, there are people all around you who, who aren't living according to this value system. Don't be surprised. You're not the first to be tested. But here's what you can do. Because of what you have in me, you have hope. And so remember who I am. Remember what I have accomplished. Remember what I have fulfilled. Remember what I have promised. Put your joy in that container and believe that even suffering for a little while can be used by God. We heard it in chapter 2 verse 2 to help us grow up into salvation. Maybe the suffering is exactly what I need to have the tender heart he called me to have back in chapter 3, verse 8. Maybe suffering for a little while is what I need to be reminded that God's plan is much bigger than me. Maybe the suffering that I'm going through right now Helps me to serve someone next year. The key question is, do I trust him? And before he calls us to trust him, he, he reminded us of Jesus. You remember how we read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23? Notice the language with me again. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. Speaking of Jesus, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting, entrusting himself to his Father in heaven. You trust a lot of things. You trust banks, you trust insurance companies, you trust gas stations. Gas is $3.89, that's what I'm getting per gallon. You trust bosses, you trust employees, you trust friends, you, you trust family members. Do you trust him most of all? The way 1 Peter chapter 4 ends, as we've noted a couple of times already throughout this, this powerful letter, if you trust him, just do the next right thing. Entrust your soul to this faithful creator while doing good. Absolutely gathered together on the first day of the week as, as apostles and disciples and Christians did from the times of the book of Acts 
on. Use that time, the songs that you sing. God's people have been singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs for thousands of years. We we sing those things to arm ourselves, to to think the right way. And and we pray together and we we, we give attention to the reading and the, the explanation of Scripture. But then it's up to us as we leave these assemblies to do good. And so we're going to sing an invitation song this evening, not inviting people who are good, not inviting anybody who has a good conscience, but inviting people who know I'm not good. And I've tried a lot of things, and i I got to tell you, I don't have a whole lot of hope. But you see, the reason we're here this evening is because Christ suffered in the flesh. And the reason we're going to stand and, and sing this song about how all things are ready, come to this glorious feast that God has prepared, is because Christ suffered in the flesh. We heard about it from the beginning of this letter. And I'd encourage you as we sing these words to, to allow these, this preface of 1 Peter to, to ring in your ears. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. If you don't have that, and we can help you be right with Him, would you let us know how we can help you tonight? By coming to the front while we stand and sing together.